be seated. Have you had any other moment, moments in your life when you felt like standing up and singing, Glory be to the Father? Birth of a child? This is not part of the sermon. <laughs> I just thought we sing that automatically, but we're singing it out of joy. And we have other moments that God gives us joy. Glory be to the Father. Well, our sermon this morning is the third out of, in the three-part series, uh, these past three weeks, in which uh, we've looked at the story in Acts 3 and 4 of uh, the man who was born lame and laid by the gate beautiful and the great temple in Jerusalem who was healed one day by the name of Jesus Christ. Through the faithfulness of two of his apostles, Peter and John. The first Sunday we looked at that event, learned a little bit more about it, where it took place in the temple, how many people showed up, 5,000. Uh, a great crowd saw this happen. And uh, we concentrated on the point, this man is healed in the name of Jesus Christ. The second Sunday, we hopped over the text for this Sunday and looked at the arrest of Jesus, uh, of uh, Peter and, and John uh, by the officials, by the priests, by the captain of the guard, and uh, how they put him in jail for the night, including the blind man, who was I mean the lame man. I'll, I'll get my story straight. The lame man. And uh, brought him out the next morning, and Peter said, uh, there is no other name under heaven by which mortals must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're looking at not the, not the lame man and not the officials who were all disturbed, the leaders of the people. We're going to look at the crowd of people. Our text uh, this morning comes from is Acts 3, 11 through 26. But as we always need to do, let's pray first for God's Spirit to sharpen our minds and our hearts. Lord, we do bow and pray and ask before we read what you have caused to be written about what you have done, we pray for uh, eyes that are enlightened by your Spirit. Uh, you've given your Spirit to us each who have believed in you, trusted you, and we ask for your Spirit to uh, give us insight Help us to recognize messages that are for everyone or just for us in this text this morning. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So beginning at Acts 3.11, the text reads, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. You, Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? Now, I don't know how you read the Bible. Well, I know how you read it silently. But if you read it out loud, you have to kind of 
see what, what the situation was, and I cannot read it without sort of projecting my voice like Peter had to do. There was not a crowd of five around him, not a crowd of 25 around him. There were thousands around him. No microphone had been set up yet. <laughs> he had to project, and I just feel the emotion in his voice, the excitement in his voice. There was electricity in that place, in that moment. For all of those people to stop what they were doing. They were not just in a waiting room. There was stuff going on. Friends to talk to. Uh, there was the marketplace going on. Money being changed. Animals being bought and sold. There was all kinds of things. Maybe a little other business going on in the temple, in those courtyards. But everyone stopped as the word zipped through that huge crowd that the blind man is leaping. And everybody is turning. And he wasn't hard to spot. <laughs> He's the only one whose head is bop, bouncing up and down. <laughs> go, there he is. No way. There was electricity. They were all captivated. For they didn't just walk. I think I'll walk on over. Luke says, and Luke was not there. He is relying on eyewitnesses. Everyone ran to them. The, suddenly, the crowd that's dispersed becomes condensed around this man who they all knew, for he was 40 years old, had been laid there day after day, year after year. He was as much a part of the temple as the gates and the buildings. This was phenomenal for them. We have to capture that. It was real. Peter goes on. Verse 13. He addresses them further. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over, and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Stop here. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, they would recognize that. That was exactly how God described himself to a puzzled Moses who goes to see a bush on fire out in the desert. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. That's how they knew who this was. And they said, this God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus. That, 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 putting those two together should have, is loaded with meaning for us. He emptied, the word became flesh and lived among us. Uh, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking upon human form and being humbled. He became obedient under death. He became a servant even though he was the second person of the Trinity. Peter's poured that into 
humbled, he has glorified his servant Jesus. In, in these two first paragraphs, uh, Peter says to them, you, 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 seven times. He says, you, why do you wonder? Why do you stare at us? Then he says, you handed him over. You rejected him. You rejected him. Twice he says that. You asked to have a murderer. And then finally, you killed the author of life. He is really up in their grill, as we would say today. He is holding nothing back. He is saying what is really true, what has happened, even though they are totally confused about it. Think they've done something good to kill Jesus. It it is amazing how he has their attention and he is delivering an indictment. And when he says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, the next verse says, to this we are witnesses. Me, John, and these other ten bozos behind me. Uh, And the disciples, we are witnesses of this. And then he says, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Wow. And then Peter changes his tone. I I, I envision. He says, and now friends... He just said they've killed Jesus. And though it, now he says, and now friends. So he is not being facetious. He's not being hypocritical. He lived with the man for three years and said, love your enemies. And they were doing it. And now friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. He says that they were ignorant. It is the first effect of sin, the sin of turning away from God. The first effect is to not see God, to be ignorant, to not know. And then he tells them they must repent. He goes on to say in verse 22, next slide, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you from your own people a prophet like me. 
you must listen to whatever he tells you. And it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people. This is Moses speaking hundreds of years earlier. Moses goes, and then Peter goes on. And all the prophets, as many as have spoken from Samuel and those after him, have predicted these days. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, quote, and in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In verse 26, Peter, last sentence there says, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you. You remember at the beginning of Acts? I, I think I told you last week, maybe. Uh, if I can't remember, I doubt that you can. But uh, at any rate, when Jesus last appears to them in Acts 1 and then ascends into heaven, the disciples said to him, Lord, is this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel like it was in the time of David and Solomon? They've been within three years, and they're still hanging on to the past. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons, but you are to remain here until the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall become my witnesses where first? In Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, people next door to you that you despise, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. That's why Peter says, he sent us to you first. He came to you first here in Jerusalem. You who actually caused his death. I put also up here in connection with the last thing Peter said, down a couple of sentences as chapter 4 begins, what the result of Peter speaking to them that afternoon turned out to be. Many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. So I wanted to remind you from that little part that this address of Peter's, they responded to a huge number of them. Luke says many of them, many of those who heard, believed. He did not say every one of them did. So I'm not sure whether there were more than 5,000 there. But the message of God to them fell on very receptive ears because they could not deny the miracle of the lame man who had been healed in their presence. No other excuses, no other dodges to hide behind. This was power, and they all saw it. And when they learned that it's through the name of Jesus and that they need to turn, it was not turn this way or that way. The turn was to turn back. 
I sometimes get cute with sermon titles. Maybe you haven't noticed. But I just put down uh, U-turns, turnabouts, and metanoesate. Don't get hung up on the last word. It's not from Dances with Wolves. It is not any word from a Native American language. It is Greek. You should know you're in church. But first, the U-turns and the turnabouts. Uh, I depend on U-turns a lot because I'm up and down I-10. My grandchildren live in town. There's a friend I have that lives in town, you know. And I'm up and down I-10 a lot. And sometimes I need to, I need to go someplace on I-10 I'm not familiar with. My philosophy, drive till you see it, take the next exit, do a U-turn, do another U-turn, and you're there. <laughs> I don't know what your method is. Yeah, I do know how to use this too. But not when I'm doing 65. I'll pull over and get my directions, but when you're on I-10, you have not got time to pull this out of your dead meat. <laughs> so, uh, I'm fond of U-turns. By the way, in the road building trade, a U-turn is that we know of off of a freeway and going under the freeway without going through the intersection lights is called a Texas U-turn. Pretty good. You know, we not only give them oil, we give them U-turns. <laughs> now, what are the turnabouts? Anybody driven in England? Thank you, thank you, okay. Did you, you know, rent, rent the car, driving on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> so I took off with Audrey one time. We were over there, rented a car. We were going to go up to Scotland where her parents, where her mother was born. Get in the car and go, going up there, and all of a sudden we come to a circle. Got to go around the circle, find the road we were going on, keep going. Those are called turnabouts. The reason I mention them is because between 1093 West Park Toll Road and I-10, we have 99, and we have 14, 63, 73, something three. And uh, those are the two main arteries. They're building a third one. It was in this little news thing we get in the paper, newspaper. And they're building a third one. It's called Heritage Parkway, something like that. And it's 6.4 miles long. And in those 6.4 miles long, there's only two traffic lights. Uh-oh. But instead, they're adding 10 turnarounds, turnabouts, 10 circles. All us Texas drivers go, Holy mackerel, what do we do in a turnabout? <laughs> and you learn the rule. The ones in there have right away. When there's nobody coming around the corner, you can get in. <laughs> and then you can find where you're supposed to get out. And if you're wanting to make a U-turn, you just get in there, go around the circle, head back the way you were going. Uh, those are pretty interesting. And that's what this turn is about that Peter said those people needed to do. It was turned to God. And when any sinful human being turns to God, it's not, oh, God's right here. i got to just turn a little bit. Oh, God's right here. No, it's usually a complete about face. 
That's really the symbolism we need to use for turn or repent. And it is in action as well as a state of mind. It is not only the way we think, but it's how we will live that we are doing and about face. For there is a huge amount of reorientation that takes place in this thing called repent. It doesn't mean feel bad. It's not, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. And it certainly doesn't mean, I know it was inappropriate. (laughs) The euphemism for something that's really been done bad by some political figure or public figure, well, I know it was inappropriate. No, it wasn't. It was awful. (laughs) That is what is meant in Scripture by repent or turn. We've been going away from God. We turned our back on God. It's the story of humanity. And all of us and each of us are being given an opportunity by God, have been given the opportunity to turn back. And that's what Peter and John were saying to this crowd after saying, you, you rejected, you rejected, you asked for a murder, you killed the author of life. To repent. Seeing the lame man healed by faith in Jesus turned 5,000 from ignorance to faith. And the turning continued after that day. The turning continued all through the book of Acts. I pulled out a couple more. We're in Acts 3. Just over in Acts 5.12, I put this up. And it reads, now many signs and wonders, not just the lame man, but many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. That's a puzzling statement. But the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Great numbers of both men and women. That's, that's fantastic. Right, right early in the New Testament, not only does are women noted as following Jesus and playing an important role, but as the church continued to grow, they are saying both men and women. For women were given a very low rank in the story of Israel. A great, and it continues, verse 16, a great number of people would also gather from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. The next slide I put up is from the very next chapter in Acts 6-7, a little, little sentence that if you have ever read it, you have forgotten it and just zipped by it. 6-7 reads, The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We have the wrong idea. 
We think Christianity was started by Gentiles. We think, or we think just a few of the Jews began to follow Jesus, and they were all just the, the country bumpkins from up in Galilee. No. Leadership was turning to him. Priests were turning to him. Pharisees were turning to him. And speaking of Pharisees, the most noted of them who turned to him was one we owe a great deal to with the writing of so much else in the New Testament. It is the story in Acts 9 of the turning of a man named Saul of Tarsus. He was a rabbinical student studying to be a rabbi, in case the word rabbinical throws you. He was studying to be a rabbi in Jerusalem, even though he was from above Israel in Syria, Uh, in the town of Tarsus. His story of, was one of immediately joining in the persecution of Christians in the book of Acts. And he was one of those who approved of, presided over the stoning of the deacon Stephen to death in Acts 7. And now in Acts 9, Saul is on his way to Damascus, the capital of Syria, on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus, heavily traveled. And he is drawing close to Damascus, and all of a sudden, he is intercepted by the Lord of heaven and earth. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Comes a voice out of an unbelievable light that blinded. Saul. Saul replies through eyes that do not work anymore, who are you, Lord? The voice again speaks, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. (laughs) And so he was. And he was told he was to now turn himself and repent and be refreshed himself, which really means recreated, a new creation, a new birth. And he was to go to the Gentiles of the world. The book of Acts is filled with people turning, even very religious people turning, who thought they were on track with God, but they were on track with tradition and hypocrisy and wickedness. I have one more example for you, but he's not from Acts. He is someone living today. And I have a faint recollection. I may have thrown his picture up from an earlier sermon, but I am a a great fan of Dr. Francis Collins. Uh, Francis Collins is a physician and a geneticist. That's someone who studies our genes. And Collins led the team that, uh, that completely mapped the entire human genome. All of our genes and what they do on that helix, it's called, 
uh, I'm trying to keep up with modern knowledge after going to school in the 1940s and the 50s. But Collins was so uh, recognized that uh, he was made the director of the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. I drove past it every morning on my way to college. And he was appointed by Obama. He was reappointed by Trump. He has been reappointed by Biden. The only director of the National Institute of Health to have served more than one president or one term. Francis Collins tells his own story of becoming a believer in Jesus Christ in his book, The Language of God, or in a YouTube called How I Became a Christian. You should write that down. You've been on YouTube before for a lot lot less worthy moments. (laughs) I have too. But uh, as entertaining as they are, but there's some wonderful YouTubes of debates between believers and non-believers. This video by Francis Collins says there should not be any war between faith and reason, faith and science. And that, uh, his description of that will challenge you if you're not acquainted with physics or chemistry or uh, science that we understand about the world, the universe, and the human body today. It will invite all of us to get up to speed on that. Francis Collins uh, was raised in North Carolina by parents who were educated but decided to go and live off the land and farm until it didn't work very well. (laughs) And then they went back to finding a job. He said they should have been living in the 60s, but they were living in the 40s. And he said, we didn't go to church. There was no word about God in our house. Uh... I did not grow up in a family of faith. So when I went off to college and encountered people who uh, said science is where it's at and uh, religion is uh, uh, false, he said, I I was agreeable to that. And I was first, I think, an agnostic, but it moved into being an atheist. And he was a chemistry Uh, major, PhD, and then he decided to become a medical doctor and focus on biology and the human body. And so he went to med school. And after med school, he entered his internship in the hospital caring for people. No longer books, real people. And he said it began to bother him uh, and puzzle him as he dealt with patients who were approaching death and that the medical community could do no, nothing more for them except keep them comfortable. And he noted particularly those who were at peace, who had joy, who had expectations of another life to come. 
and it, he could not understand it. He said, when I thought about my death, it terrified me. And in this film, he tells the story of a woman, unnamed, who was dying. And he made his rounds and pulled up a chair beside her bed a few days before she passed away. And she, she said she wanted to tell, talk to him for a minute. She told him about her family and about her own coming to faith in Christ. And then she said to him, Doctor, I've told you about my life and about my faith. I thought you would say something. And he was silent, puzzled. He had nothing to say. And she said, Doctor, what do you believe? He does not say that he answered her anything that day, but her question sent him on a search. He said, I am a scientist. I believe that I am to study things and to look for reasons to believe this or not believe that. And I have not lifted, made one effort to see any of the reasons for God. And so he said, I began to study. And he said, I, I, I was willing to look at it, all religions. I pick up one and said, no, that's not, that doesn't make sense. Pick up another, no, I don't think that would work. And finally he came across a book called Miracles. Anybody recognize it? It was by a British author, and his name was C.S. Lewis. And in that book, he encountered a man who had come to faith himself as a scholar late in his life, and who had really provided thoughtfulness and reasons for faith. And Collins read in that and many other books and things until three years after he started, he decided, I know that Christianity is, is the one. And why am I on the outside? And he began to talk to God and say, okay, I give up. I believe you are true and I want you in my life. And his life proceeded from there, and he has much to say. I recommend that the video and some other books. Uh, I think Larissa was telling me about two others, BioLogos, I think, maybe a, a, something he has, and one other. Anyway, I, I recommend him. He is someone in our day who has turned. One of the things that he put up on his video were these words from uh, Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant was a philosopher from, in Germany, Prussia, born 1724, died 1804, 80 years. And he is a philosopher uh, as well as a theologian. And he wrote this, Two things fill me with constantly increasing admiration and awe the longer and more earnestly I reflect on them. The starry heavens without and the moral law within. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, 
it comes after Collins has used both what our current knowledge of the universe is and what our knowledge of ourselves is. The moral law that though we violate it, we know it's true. And he says, those are the things that lead me and led me to Christ. The last thing I put up for a slide is this. The miracle of the lame man caught their attention and convinced them all of the words that Peter and John spoke. The greatest supernatural work of God, the greatest miracle of God, is literally all creation itself. And the more we learn about it, we are foolish to say that what we learn about it removes God from it. The finest scientists going toe-to-toe with any atheist or agnostic scientist says that the terms we live on in this universe are so phenomenal, so impossible for life to come about that we are the result of that there's no saying it was an accident. Now, if you still struggle with that, let Francis do a better job than me. (laughs) So what's your turning story? You all have one, I believe, or you wouldn't be here. Although occasionally people do slip into a church as a visitor, or they're brought in their family and maybe their story hasn't begun. But we all need a story, a story of turning. And we turn and Christ comes into our life for he promises to. And then we continue to be refreshed and that means recreated, transformed in his own image. That's what this is all about for the crowd that day, and it's about, that's, it is a, what we are about also. I hope you treasure this story of their turning and the story of turning of every one of us, for it's why we are here. I invite you to think about this as Kristen sings our offertory. <laughs>